As we kind of get into Christ's teaching here, as we're kind of full force into it, we'll be in it for a while, uh, for the next couple of weeks at least. Does anybody ever get irritated by how cryptic Jesus is? I mean, just <coughs> cryptic. I've discussed before that he doesn't give straight answers. He doesn't seem to deliver just what you're asking for. He doesn't seem to sometimes be having the same conversation with the person who's talking that they're having with him. It can be really frustrating. I, I, you read it and you, and you wonder, what, what, what's going on here? It became popular in the 19th century, especially, it's popular till today, to say, okay, well, that's a hint, that's a clue that this text is actually corrupted. This text is actually a corrupted cut-and-paste job, and that this isn't really a real conversation at all. You could do that all day long, and it's been done fancifully by New Testament scholars for a generation, or more than a generation, actually. But it's all very arbitrary, and the problem here is that Christ isn't really even in a conversation at this point. He's just talking. And his words, even as he's just talking, are cryptic. What does it mean, cryptic? They seem impenetrable. What does that mean? What? And, and there's, there's clues. This part of my, my work as a, as a pastor, as a teacher, is to try to elucidate some of that, because some of it is buried in his culture. Some of it is buried in Old Testament allusion and inference and connection. Some of it is buried right here in the text. It's, it's, he's actually continuing to talk about certain key things that are vital to his ministry. But I think there is also another part I, I touched on a few weeks ago. Christ is cryptic because his message is not what you think it's going to be. He is not delivering what he thinks you, what you think he's going to deliver. He's not in the process of merely embodying or somehow conveying or somehow teaching a whole set of ideas. Not at all. For the kingdom of God that he is talking about is not about knowing things, about your cleverness or insight. It isn't about these things. It's about something much more profound, much more elusive in one sense. Much more significant. Let's read it. See what we make of it. And Jesus has just finished the parable of the sower. And uh, if while I'm speaking you are bored or confused, you can easily look it up on your iPhone or smartphone and read it. I always figure you might as well. If I can't hold your attention, why should I? That's my fault. I need to be more entertaining than your smartphones, or I'm not really worth my salt. All right. Let's begin. Mark 4, as you see, the text is very brief. 21 through 23. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. 
Let's acknowledge this cryptic text and ask for divine help. <laughs> Father, uh, that's what we do right now. We turn our hearts and say, I, say, I ask for that divine and spiritual wisdom that does not come from people, doesn't come from men and women, it comes from you. And I ask for it for me and for everybody who hears. In Jesus' name, amen. I am particularly interested in uh, this idea of light and the lamp. Light becomes one of the living metaphors Jesus likes to use. It's one of those wonderful metaphors. And, and it, by the way, it has tremendous antiquity. It has tremendous breadth and depth in the Old Testament record, in the story, and in the poetry. You notice in the poetry of Isaiah 60, it's about radiance. Does anybody remember the ironic blessing from number six? The Lord caused his what? face to shine upon you. And so there's this idea, uh, and in fact, Moses himself shines, and we'll talk a little bit about that later, but, but, uh, but this idea of shining and radiance, of God having a radiance, or, uh, and there, us being in turn radiant people, like glowing, like there, as us participating in that radiance, is alive in the scripture, every, this entire story. In fact, if we could talk about it, if we got a, a bigger enough picture uh, if you got enough big enough picture, heaven is described with what? What's it all over heaven? It's a place of what? Glorious, constant, glowing, golden light. Okay. Pleasant enough. We're not peculiar in this, by the way. If you look at all the exalted pictures of the Buddha, uh, of the different Hindu gods and Hindu teachers, of Lao Tzu, of, they all describe, they all actually have an effulgence. They all have a brightness about them, right? They're all described as, they all describe with light. So we're not peculiar in this at all. Now, but I, I think that might be deceptive. That might be deceptive. Because I ought to be afraid of you say, okay, Chris, oh great, I'm glad I'm finally in a church where, I'm finally at a place where People are going to talk about how Christianity is like every other religion. And if you think that's about what's about, about, uh, what's about to happen, you're about to be disappointed. So, but I'm interested in this. Because something happens in this text that I don't know why the ESV translates it this way. If you turn, if you actually, by the way, if you have an NASB, if you can look that up on your phone, you'll see what I mean. But the Greek is actually uh, differently structured. It's... They're, they're, this is a little bit of a this, this 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 translation is a little bit of an interpretation because the light the the lamp that, that Jesus describes in the Greek says the light comes it doesn't say the light's brought it says the light comes strange language strange like the light is moving that's that's actually the most little he said to them the is a lamp does a lamp come to be under a basket. Lights don't come and go anyways, do they? They're carried. So if you talk about light, Buddha would say, Buddha would say, there is the way to the light. In fact, Buddha, in fact, ultimately, would talk about enlightenment that became his famous, his famous uh, uh, expression. Uh, oddly enough, uh, oddly enough, there's a, there's a strange, there's a strange, uh, uh, paradox in that because uh, nirvana means the light is extinguished. It means the candle goes out and the consciousness finally disappears. But that's irrelevant. He would just simply say 
There is the light. He would point you to it. Muhammad, Muhammad would say, uh, here is the light in my words, right? Here is the light and uh, follow it or die, right? <laughs> here it is. Bam. Do it. The light's what I've said, period. Uh, Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu, the uh, father, I'm sorry, sorry, Tzu, the father of um, Taoism. I know everybody likes to complain. I know, it's as clear as a mud. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Lao Tzu, the father of, of Taoism, would have said, uh, would have said, the light's in you. You're the light. All you have to do is, this has become very, very popular. I would say this is probably one of those popular ones right now. Sri Ramachandra. I came across this recently because I've been interested in trying to figure out if I want to do yoga or not. And whether it's demonic or not. Like in the back of my head, I'm trying to figure out what kind of weird scene am I getting into if I start doing yoga. And Sri Ramachandra is a popular... But, they, but it's interesting to talk to these people. I was looking at all the bios on, uh, uh, for my gym on all the different teachers. But it's all about you releasing, actually, light. You ever heard of the chakra idea? You're, gonna, you're going to, through body posture and, and, through, and through these activities, you're going to release your light. And then Christ comes. And says, I am the light. Muhammad would say, preposterous. Absurd. Buddha would say, distracting. Lao Tzu would say, unnecessary. Sri Ramachandra Perhaps complimentary. You've got your light, Jesus has his. Let's work together and release our chakras. What is Christ's crime? He identifies himself as the light itself, truth itself, without apology and offends, and in effect rejects, and in effect supersedes all of the great teachers. Now, don't, do not be mistaken. Their rejection is wise because the great light of this age is pleasure. You will be guided if you follow what pleases you, your job, your career, your money, your wine, your, your whatever... Your light is pleasure. And they all realize wisely that this is a lousy light. <laughs> this is a lousy guy. This is a lousy way to decide what is right and true and good and noble and worthwhile in, 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 in following. And they all struggled with how men and women live in San Francisco. They would all have a problem with San Francisco, right? <laughs> because because the, the God here is all, your light is, the light out there is pleasure, the people who stumble around drunk on Sunday morning and high and stoned and lost are chasing their, their light, right? Their light is what? Pleasure. And if that's your light, how great is your what? Darkness. 
because that's all you use, and they stumble around, but they look foolish. The guys up in, the guys who work in Ted's building don't look as foolish, right? <laughs> the guys in downtown Europe, they don't look as foolish, but they're just as foolish. They're just as lost, just as desperate, just as confused, and they don't even know what makes them stumble as they attempt to navigate life. And all these teachers wisely saw that this light doesn't work. But then all they did was propose things that originated in Brittany's effort. Buddha would told Brittany, you've got to be a better person and give up your desire for desire. Muhammad would tell you, you've got to be more holy and cover your face for your husband. And Sri Ramchandra would tell you, you've got to assume better positions to release. And none of them will acknowledge the Lord of light himself. And that's the mystery of the text, the cryptic nature by which Christ is sneaking in, as it were. Sneaking in, as it were. They don't see it coming, as original hearers. They don't get it either. They don't see him sneaking in, as it were, to say, you don't know who I am, what I have come to do. You don't guess yet my grandeur and my glory that I hold in myself from eternity past as the Lord of lords and King of kings. I come I am effulgence that you cannot even bear to see. I am light. I am truth. I am. Wow. They don't get it. And that's why it's so cryptic. Because it's not merely about the light revealing things so you know them. But it's about the, the light himself being accessible to you. Something you can know, touch, and be a part of. Be shy. That is why there's so much power in me simply as a preacher of the gospel. Getting up on a Sunday morning to tell you, behold Jesus. Behold your Savior. Behold Jesus. Behold your Savior. And if you do see him, everything's everything, and my work's done. Uh, that's it. If you have glimpsed, if you have begun to see or imagine who he is, that's enough. For he saves by a look because he is light itself. And where the light shines, life starts taking root. That is why it's written by Paul in Ephesians, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and let Christ, what? Shine on you. And this is the great mystery that all the teachers missed and could not understand. And everybody in, in San Francisco who doesn't believe this anymore is chasing these, cannot see. They haven't glimpsed my Savior. I wish, I hope you glimpse him now. I don't want you to glimpse him. I want you to glimpse what he does. For the mystery gets even greater. The mystery gets even greater if you see it at the cross. What is Christ at the cross? How many of you uh, like the jack-in-the-box? I love them. And I love the fact they have them little kids. Uh, I remember uh, uh, Ian and Alex would giggle every time the, the Jack in the Box would pop out. Every single, Ian still does. Yesterday he was doing it. I was doing, I was doing it for him. <laughs> I, I owe him five bucks. That's Ted. I, I, I have an agreement with my kids every time I use them as a sermon illustration, I have to pay them. It's part of all the royalties I get for preaching. <laughs> There's this wonderful thing that happens as you're getting close to God. I don't know, I don't know if you really know God yet. I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm not going to assume anything. Even people who have known, grown up in the Christian faith or those who have gotten close don't really get it. 
A lot of times, Jesus, the gospel's like that. And it doesn't happen. You got to do it again. And you're waiting, and you're waiting. A lot of times, as a preacher, as I, or as a pastor, in a, in a, uh, as a spiritual uh, friend, uh, a guide, uh, what's the word I want to use? Uh, facilitator. I'll be doing this with people. I'm telling them about Jesus, just waiting for Jesus to pop out. They finally get it. The final moment, they get Jesus, and they get this instrument of torture as all of our sin and crime and hate and foolishness nailed forever in the Son of God, nailed and forgiven, free and full. For on the cross, he dies for sinners and then rises from the dead. Talk about a jack-in-the-box. Talk about a surprise. And that's what the cryptic thing is. That's what the cryptic words are. They're like a jack-in-the-box. You're trying to, you want to get it. You want to see it. You want to understand it. You want to get who Jesus is in his love. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit pops it out. just like he pops out of the tomb and he ascends with glory. And he shocks and surprises everybody. He upturns emperors. He discards everything because he is the king of kings and the lord of life and light. And he conquers death. And this is the riddle. He loves, who does he choose to love in all that? Sinners, the ruined, the depressed, the lonely, the fearful. Those were his favorite people. Those were his favorite people to surprise in his love. I want to, ah, all right, so my work's not done there though, right? Because in this text, that's the secret that's being revealed here. That's the secret he wants you to to know about. Ah, but Jesus uses this text in Matthew 6. Does anybody remember it reads differently in Matthew 6? I'm sorry, Matthew 5, right around verse 20, 18 to 20. Um, Matthew 5, 18. Oh, it was 16 or 17, sorry. So, remember what he says? He uses it, it completely flips it. And it's in this text in a way. It's hidden a little bit. But I, want us to, I don't want us to miss it. Because I want, this is our, our walk away in a sense. What we take away. You are the light of the world. And then he says, nobody hides a light under a bushel. Nobody hides it under a basket. Nobody, but they shine the light. And this is the t- part of the text that I kind of, come to this point, I'm like, well, wait, how, do, how do I connect us, or how do we connect with being living light? How do we now, how do we connect with being living light ourselves? How do we become a people who are the light of San Francisco? How does that happen? Because in a sense, that's, that's, to me, that, that, that's how we unlock the text. And I think the first place, let's, let's, just, let's, let's just take what we just learned. Let's just take everything we just saw. Because do you know why this Sunday morning, every week we do it? Because I believe that worship of the Son of God, the light of light, unlocks. It's one of the keys to unlocking our access to light. It's, it's one of the reasons why we have this table and have this ritual and we have to do these things because you get here, you're drawing close to him, you're seeing him, you're feeling, you're responding and this is, this is how he does it. He loves and he does this, he loves to unlock his presence through worship. 
Unlock his secrets through the word, through preaching. Unlock his presence. Unlock his love for sinners. Unlock some of his judgments. Unlock it all. And and so this is why worship is ever and always will be the herald, the beautiful, the beautiful beginning shine of the church of Christ. Of the church, it's always is. And you know, people say, well, is there any, you know, can I be a Christian and not go to church? Well, I guess in theory, I guess there's some theoretical believer out there who's stranded on an island and can't make it to church. You can. <laughs> you don't have that excuse. And you could have said, well, there's no good church in San Francisco. Well, we just got rid of that excuse. <laughs> So, so let's, come, come on, he's getting rid of these excuses. And you know, the point being is that sometimes, and you gotta get this, this is cryptic in a sense, right? Because this doesn't look like the best strategy. I mean, I, mean, I could be better looking, you know? Let's get something better looking up here. Let's, let's get, you know, let's get, let's do something to spit and polish this up. Let's make it better if this is the light. And I would say no. I would say it's the wrong way to go. That's going back to the God of pleasure. And trying to make it happen. Because the glorious thing that these men don't understand is Christ entered the world from the outside. Men on the inside never figured it out. Women could not discern it. Christ comes from the outside. It's light beaming from the outside. And so there's a cryptic sense. There's a weird riddles kind of sense that this is what light looks like. This right here. This right here. Um, and don't be, and, and let's not be embarrassed by it or ashamed of it. Let's not be ashamed of McLaren. We don't have to be. Let's, be let's, let's wonder and be joyful that we are, we are let's, let's see how earthy this is. Did you notice in the call to worship that it talked about camels? Did anybody notice that? Does anybody have any camels? Anybody own any camels here? Any camel owners? I always think it's kind of, I almost took that part out. Like I almost ended the text there because it's so alien to San Francisco and so uh, inaccessible to our experience. And I thought, no, wait a second. That's what God is. He's, it's like talking about your cars. It's like talking about your apartments. It's like talking about what you own. It's like your bank account. He's just talking about the most, and it's in a way they can understand. It's earthy. That's where his radiance is making itself known in the guts of our lives where things kind of dark, right? Sometimes our lives don't look like they shine. Does anybody feel like they're shining right now? Does anybody feel like they're shining Tuesday morning, Monday morning? Anybody? Anybody got a shine on their heart? You know, anybody walking in with a smile? Some of you are walking in with a smile, but... It's fake, <laughs> right? You read Dale Carnegie, you figured it out. And so, um, no, no, there's something, and Christ wants to, you to know this. Now, uh, so worship, even how cryptic this Sunday morning event might seem to you, or how odd or foreign or strange, it is the will of God, and I love it, that he will be made known through preaching, teaching, and the worship of his son. Second, that's just a little practical here. What's getting in the way? There's, a, there's something in the text here of an idea of hiding something. Hiding. How are you hiding your light? Um, you know, a lot of us have learned 
very professional masks at work, right? Has anybody have a very professional mask at work? I've seen these. I've seen you with some of you with your mask on. You can't fool me. I've seen it. And you've learned, and in one sense, we've learned different ways and subtle ways of not having the light on the pedestal. Does that make sense? Not having it be the primary light in the room. We've learned how to camouflage our faith and work in ways that just don't, you know, that don't, that, that don't betray us too much or don't make us look too odd or strange or wouldn't make heaven above what's the great moray of this age thou shalt not make your, your, your fellow workers uncomfortable, right? Isn't that not the greatest commandment? <laughs> thou shalt not make your fellow workers uncomfortable. And so there's an idea here of positioning. So I, I'm teasing that. I'm teasing that. This idea of something on a pedestal. It's very, very vivid in, in Matthew chapter 5. And so with this idea of Christ. So what does it look like? Because the reason I like it so much is because whatever this light is, it's supposed to be natural. It's supposed to be something flowing out of you because of how you experience God. So I just picture there's some prominent way in which you, and we, we discussed this before with, with McLaren, the SDG idea. So McLaren was writing in his code, SDG, Solo Deo Gloria. And that's not like a little idea, but, the, the, but that's what Bach did. And, and these ways of actually inserting invalid, constant, perpetual ways that you are living for the glory of God. Now, some of you will say, Oh, I don't want to be conceited, Chris. I don't want to look conceited about my faith. You don't need to worry about that in San Francisco. People will think you're an idiot. Nobody's going to think you're a great person because you're somehow secretly giving glory to God. They're just going to think you're a fool. Don't worry about that. I don't know. You all, where you're all from, maybe that's a problem. But, but uh other parts of the country, it is a problem. You, 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 you be, be, take the big Christian load, and everybody's going to be congratulate you, right? It's a good way to get up with the boss if he's a believer or something, or if he claims to be a Christian, and everybody kind of knows he isn't, but it doesn't matter. So, but there's this way of positioning. My point is, how are you positioning in the office at the water cooler, if you want to put it that way? I don't know if the water cooler is even a valid part of our the experience anymore. Uh, in the position where, you're, where Christ is, you are shining because Christ is shining because you're, and you're radiant. That means giving light to the truth of the world. And I think, this, I think Christ is leading us in this cryptic statement into how to do this. You're, it's okay to be cryptic. You get this? It's okay to be cryptic about your faith. <laughs> Christ is cryptic. Sounds like a good example to me. So you get to say things, and I think this is a mystery. Figure out how to say things that don't make sense to the people around you. That's it, right? And I mean clear things. Now, uh, and, well, you know, Daniel's very, very obvious about it. Daniel, for example, when he lives in a foreign country, a lot like, a lot like San Francisco, he just prays publicly with his arms up like this. And people can see him through the window. He didn't care. He just did it. He just did it. Hands up. What would it be like if you have a glass office if you were standing towards the window going like this for about five minutes? What do you think people would think? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody, yeah, somebody's behind you. <laughs> somebody's sticking you up. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> 
Or is he, oh no, he's going to jump. Uh, <laughs> what I mean is, it is up to us to be a riddle. It's up to, to us to be confusing. It's up to us to be the thing that doesn't make sense. Because you see, when the light of this world is darkness, anything that doesn't follow the pleasure principle looks bizarre. And that's all you've got to do. If you're not following this God, you're following the light and the radiance as he folds it. I mean, and this is what I do. And this is my example. You see, I have, I'm a religious professional, so people, I get to, I, 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 it's kind of a cheat, right? I, can get, I get to act like this. And people don't think, it, well, they still think I'm weird, but it's not. But I just say, offhandedly, in conversations all of the time, yeah, I prayed about that. Thank God for that. I praise God for that. Um, I'm, I'm depressed. I'm struggling with a lot of fear about God. I say that openly. I don't know where God is today. I said to a barista one time, she stopped and looked at me. She said, what? <laughs> I don't know where God is today. I don't feel his presence. She wanted to talk about that. I'll be darned, but she came out from behind the bar and sat down to talk to me about that. Because that is not like the riddle. You see, and this is the opportunity we have to weave into our lives, into our, into our lives, into our work, like the sense of radiance and ex- experience of God. Because let's get back to where we started. Enlightenment. Here's, here's, your, here's your, one of your great things you can do. The goal of my life, you could say this at work, you say this in the legal office, it wouldn't be offensive, is to be enlightened. I'm seeking enlightenment. That is the primary goal of my life. That is totally, completely, and utterly biblical. I want, uh, you know what Renaissance means? New birth. That's why we call this last section we're coming up on Renaissance. The Renaissance is a word for new birth. You know what I want to be? I want to be a Renaissance person. That is the meaning of my life. It's to see the Renaissance of my life. That's a pretty winsome thing to say to people in this, in this city. It's this way that sneaks in. Because you see, this city's already armed in the teeth against us. It's already armed against Christianity and any kind of whiff of a judgment or conservatism. It's got its pitchforks out. I'm Frankenstein, right? The villagers want to, want to burn me down. What do you do? We're crazy up in here. What do you do? You surprise them. You use all of that momentum against them. You talk in ways about the kingdom that discover it afresh for all the desires they had anyway. Because they want new life. They want light. They want insight. They're hungry, grasping in the dark for anything that will satisfy. And you're holding it as a treasure. Stop hiding and concealing and start beautifully, mysteriously revealing the love of God in your life and all of its effulgent, radiant, glowing, shining beauty. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your light. I thank you that you are light. You're the light that has come into the world. You sent your son, the light who's come into the world. You dwell in unapproachable light. (laughs) There is nobody like you. You put all the 
teachers and leaders of time itself into confusion and shame. Because you came yourself to redeem a people who were living in darkness. Father, put us on a pedestal. Let your sun shine and let us shine with him. Let the glory of the cross and the forgiveness of sin shine again in our generation. Amen. Amen. On the night our Savior was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. Talk about cryptic. This is very cryptic, isn't it? To the outside, this doesn't make any sense. It's the meanings and it's mysteries are elusive. He took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. And the same way, he also took a cup of wine. And he, he poured it. He said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. The cup of the covenant. Words and actions that are mysterious. You know one of the main reasons I love doing this every week? is because it continues to advertise this deep mystery of spirituality in you. And this idea of Christ's light in you, enlightenment, light within, renaissance. All those mysteries are wrapped up in the enigma of this idea of a table where we eat of God. We fellowship with him. You see, that's, I love it not just because of what it does for me and us and how it gives us constant access to the grace of God, but because it's mysterious to those who don't believe. They sit there and they got to go, what are these people doing? What is up? That's why my first invitation is to welcome sinners to the table. What's the mystery of the gospel? What's its cryptic reality? What's its secret inner secret? It's sinners who come to eat with God, who know Jesus. It's sinners who confess Christ. It's the ruined. It's the depressed. It's the sad. It's the lonely. It's the rejected. It's the ones who cannot save themselves who come. They're the ones welcome with open arms at the table. The dinner bell's ringing. God, our Father, saying, come on down. Dinner's on. But then I say, what do I always say then after that? If you don't know this, this isn't familiar to you. If you're outside of this, and you're outside of this experience of knowing God, I ask you to watch and be envious. Watch and wonder. Watch and ask the question, how do I, how could I be a person who believed in God like that? But then there's the, what's the last group? There are people forbidden to the table. And it's not the depressed, Sarah. People who are forbidden to the table are who? People who think they're good. If you think you're righteous, get this. Get this cryptic, bizarre twist. If you think you're a good man, you're not worthy of the table. He didn't come to feed the righteous. He came to feed the hungry and the broken and the sinners. 